All right. Uh, let's turn to John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 25 this morning. We looked at the first half of John last week, the first half of John chapter 3 last week. Uh, this morning, let's look at 25 through 36. And let me say this to kind of prepare our hearts to hear this passage, and really more broadly to hear God's word on mornings like this and opportunities like this, and even in your own private devotional time. We're going to see uh, one of the themes in the Gospel of John is life. That life is a big deal, eternal life, life with God, what that, what that means and how we find it and how we discover it and how it's, it's, it's offered to us in Christ, life. And you think about the passages that we've seen to date. Okay, we saw last week, we saw Nicodemus. Nicodemus was talking to Jesus basically about life. Jesus was saying you need to be born again to experience this life. And those words of Jesus left Nicodemus kind of not confused, but asking questions and, and curious and, and wanting to and needing to know more. The passage we're going to look at next week in John chapter 4 is the Samaritan woman, Jesus and the woman by the well. Some of you know this story. And Jesus gives her words, and those words amaze her about the, the opportunity that she has, uh, spiritually speaking, for her life. In this passage here this morning, we're going to look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, is back into our lives for a brief moment, and he's not, uh, he's proclaiming words. He's proclaiming uh, the, the mission of the Messiah, pointing people towards the Messiah. And in each case, uh, God's words are important to draw out life. Uh, for Nicodemus, those words of life were confusing to him. They, they were hard to understand. Um, for John the Baptist, the, the words of life that God has given him, he rejoices. Uh, there is nobody that's, that wants Jesus to increase more than John the Baptist, and we see this as one of those examples of that. And for somebody like the Samaritan woman, the, the words of Jesus are amazing to her. You know, at the end of, I'll read a passage, and what I'll, I'll say typically at the end is, this is the word of God, it's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. How are you receiving God's word? How are you hearing God's word? It's such a reminder to us, this is God's word, and he's communicating to us. He knows your situation. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows your schedule. He knows your your strengths and weaknesses, your challenges, and his word is for you. His word in the hands of the Spirit is meant to strengthen, to encourage, support, and, and give you hope in life. As I read this passage, as we read passages on Sunday mornings, as you read the Bible in your own devotional time, remember and be reminded that it's God speaking to his people because he loves us. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. John chapter 3, verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens 
for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who has come from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains upon him. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we are a people who are needy, and we pray in these moments that you would give us ears to hear, to see our needs and how they're met in you. Show us more of yourself, we pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. My grandmother, before she passed away, was living in a, um, a senior care and the senior care facility that she had was like an apartment kind of complex, apartment complex, apartment kind of layout. Some of you have, have seen this. And she lived on the second floor. And I can remember one time going to, to visit her because I'm just an amazing grandson. I went to visit her and I took the elevator up. She lived on the second floor. Don't judge me, okay? Nobody used the stairs. Everybody took the elevator. And I got off the elevator and there's that little, typically there's that little kind of open area right in front of the elevator. And on this section, there was a, like a table, portable table set up, and there was puzzle pieces everywhere, and a couple chairs there, and it's obvious that a group was, was working on a, a jigsaw puzzle there. Okay, this is not, you know, a, a novice beginner's puzzle. This was like expert ninja level professional puzzle piecing going on here, okay? Thousands of pieces, all itty bitty, and it had to be, and it was some kind of nature scene. And so you've got all these little puzzle pieces that are just green and blue and maybe brownish or something like that. And they were putting this together. It's not something you do in an afternoon, but it's something you do over a lifetime. I mean, it's so complicated. And, of course, they had the, the big picture there, the cover, that gave them direction of how to put this thing together. Now, what if I came back one night and I stole that cover? They would be at a loss. And you know why, because they have no perspective they have no understanding. They don't, they don't know what they're putting together anymore. There, there's no testimony. There's no witness, if you will, of how things fit together in this puzzle. And I, I bring the, that, that picture before you because I want you to think about how Jesus is our witness, how we need him as a witness in our lives. We need his perspective. We need his authority. We need his direction because as, as John lays out for us, he comes from above. Because he has something to offer that, that we cannot give or do in ourselves in our own uh, life. So three things to, to look at and to discuss, if you will. What a witness does, why we need a witness, and how do we get this witness? How do we keep this Jesus as a witness ongoing in our lives? So first, what a witness does we need to think a little bit about the context before we dive in and talk about what a witness does. Uh, we're reading about John the Baptist. 
not John the Apostle that, that wrote the Gospel of John, but John the Baptist here in this passage. And some of you will remember that Jesus has been in, in Jerusalem celebrating Passover. We talked about that uh, a little bit of time ago. And now he's, he's out with his disciples, Jesus is, and he's doing ministry maybe in the, what we call more the rural parts of the, of the countryside there, of, of the area. Jesus is doing ministry. He's, he's baptizing, really, it's his disciples that are baptizing because that's what John chapter 4 tells us. And John, the Baptist, is doing ministry as well, and it seems that they're working concurrently together. And John's disciples, you know, they're, it's like they're looking in the distance, they see Jesus and his disciples doing this ministry, and it kind of provokes something in them to kind of like, you know, maybe we need to evaluate our ministry, John the Baptist. What, what are we doing here? What's, what's going on? in this ministry. And John repeats what he always says. I'm not the Messiah. Uh, I'm pointing people, preparing the way for the Messiah, for the Christ. And then he says this in in 31 and in 32. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard but no one accepts his testimony. John is saying, in essence, there's a greater witness. My role, as you know, disciples belonging to John the Baptist, is to, to prepare the way. I'm giving testimony and giving witness. But there's a greater witness, and that is Christ, because he comes from above. He is that true witness. And so now we can ask the question, what does a witness do? And I know you have some kind of grasp of this, but I think a little bit more... Uh, intentionally about what a witness does and how it relates to us, maybe more personally. Some of you know the game Clue. You remember this game Clue? Uh, I think they made a movie out of it. Um, in the game Clue, there's everybody takes up a certain character. Somebody's the butler, I believe, if my memory serves me. Somebody's the maid. Somebody's the, the owner. Everybody has a role to play, and somebody's trying to guess who did it. It's a murder mystery game. And so you're trying to identify who's the one that killed so-and-so, you know, with the candlestick in the kitchen, okay? You're trying to figure that out. And everybody has an alibi, of course. Everybody has an excuse. It wasn't, it wasn't me. I was doing this. Everybody has an excuse. And what you need in that moment is what? You need a witness. You need somebody that comes in from the outside and can speak from their experience, speak from their truth, speak from what they have seen and give testimony and give something that nobody else can communicate and find out on their own. Or think about a witness maybe like this. Imagine you're in a plane, like a commercial plane, and it's a, it's a beautiful, if you could pick a day to fly, this would be the day to fly, okay? No clouds in the skies, it's just clear, and you are flying over Flewing over some residential area, and then you're getting to a place where you see this highway. It's a two-lane highway that you see out your window. And you can see cars zipping back and forth on this highway. And you can see for miles and miles and miles because you're where? You're up above the whole thing. And you see this one section of road that's just twisty and turning because it's going up this mountainside. It bends and bends and bends back and forth. And in one lane, you see that there's this 18-wheeler that's holding up traffic. And you're not only thankful that you're not on the ground behind that 18-wheeler, you see the long line of cars that are behind that 18-wheeler, just miles and miles, it seems. And as you observe this, you'll see every once in a while the car behind the 18-wheeler will try and 
to move out and try and pass this 18-wheeler to get by and to get going. But the cars behind this 18-wheeler struggle because the road bends back and forth, and they can't see as far out ahead of them as they would feel comfortable uh, pulling out. And so you know from your position when that car should pull out and when it shouldn't. You know it's going to be a disaster when one car tries to pull out and, and make a run for it, so to speak, only to slow down and get back into position because there's a car coming. What's happening there is you are a witness. You're a witness from above. Your perspective provides truth. It provides pers- um, understanding. It, it's, an, it's an angle. It's somebody telling you something that you couldn't see because you are from below. Your, 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 your perspective is, is limited. It's, it's disguised by so much. All that to say we need a witness to make sense of what's going on in our lives, to give us direction, because there's always bends in the road that we can't see. Uh, there's things going on that we don't understand, and we need that witness to come and give us his help. Jesus is that witness in our lives. And not only is he a witness, but think about this too. He's a powerful witness because he has a unique authority. He has unique authority. He's not just an, an older person that's, that's kind of been there, done that, and has similar experiences that we've had. But he has a unique authority, a unique perspective because of who he is. Think at verse um, 34. You know that game clue. What makes that witness powerful is its authority. His authority is to come and say, this is what happened. He can give something that nobody else can, and he has authority because of it. Uh, Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John the Baptist in his ministry has been talking about God. He's been giving words about God. Jesus speaks the words of God. Because he is God. He's the word that's always existed. He's always been there. He's always been with the Father. He can speak the words of God to us, which gives him authority. Imagine you're in a, uh, a literature class and you're reading a book together, The Call of the Wild. I don't know. That's the only book I can recall. You're reading Call of the Wild and you're discussing chapter 3. And... Um, and somebody raises a question, I don't understand what, what's going on here. What does this mean that this character did this and this character did that? And there's all kinds of speculation that goes about in the classroom because of that, thinking, well, I think it's this or I think it's that. In the middle of that conversation, the author walks in. He says, I'll tell you what happened in chapter 3 because I wrote it. It means this, this, and this. And then somebody raises their hand and says, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it really means this. The author would just look at him and say, you're, you're silly. You're crazy. I wrote it. Uh, I have authority to tell you what's true and not true. Jesus has that authority. He wrote it. He created us. He was existent before us. He is not only a witness, but he is a witness that has unique authority in our lives. Are you allowing Jesus to be a witness in your life? Are you allowing his authority to be relevant in your life? Are you allowing him to have ultimate authority in your life? Sometimes Jesus gives us words and we hunger for them. We're struggling with a situation and we're looking for rest, for peace, for relief. 
um, for for a sense of control, a sense of, of, of hope that everything will work out, and we long for those words. We long for that authority. But sometimes Jesus gives us words, and we don't like them. When he talks about sin, or he talks about death, or suffering, or the list of what have you, whatever it could be, we don't like those words, but they're still the words of God. They're still, they still come to us with a sense of authority, and they come to us because Jesus is a witness to God. What are you doing with that witness in your life? Why we need a witness. Let's think about the second one. We need a witness because of his unique perspective. And you all get this. You get the, the logic of this. We need his perspective on our lives because he can tell us things that, that we don't know. And if we fail to heed those things, it's just only inviting disaster. We'll go visit um, my parents sometime. They live in Atlanta. And they'll have on in the, in the morning some kind of news show, like the Today Show or something like that. And then you know how those shows break in. The local news will come on there and it'll give you like, here's what the weather is for the next couple days. And then there's the traffic report. Okay, you've got the eye in the sky. And I never watch the local news because I don't need an eye in the sky. I'm, I'm two miles from work. Okay, I'm not worried about traffic. But they give this eye in the sky. They give this, this is what's going on on, on I-20 and 85 and 75, all these roads around the Atlanta area, and they'll say, I-75 north is clear, but if you're coming um, south, it's going to be a mess. Don't go that way. And so you watch that because you've got to go that way, and you want to know what roads to take and what roads not to take. And if you heard that report, and they said, you know, 75 uh, north is backed up, and you still took 75 north, uh, you have yourself to blame because you're not willing to let them be an authority in your life. You think, I can, it's not going to be bad once I get there. I can, I can make it work. My fear is sometimes this is how we treat Jesus and his authority in our lives. We think, yeah, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but I think I can do it myself. I think this, I think this will work out for me okay. And when we do that, we can invite just disaster into our lives we need Jesus' perspective because of his authority and because of his love and because of his care. It, the, the Bible tells us so much, you know this, regarding how we should be living our lives and the things that we should be doing and obeying him on. And so much of it sounds great to us. You know, the Bible says, tell the truth. Don't lie. We think, yes, I want to I hear truth. Uh, the Bible tells us to be generous, generous with your money, generous with the, your time, and, and we value those things. The Bible says be forgiving, especially your enemies. Even forgive your enemies, those that have wronged you. And we love that until situations arise where we actually have to heed those words. I don't want to be generous. If I'm generous, then that means I may not have this for myself. If I'm generous, it means they may take advantage of me. I don't want to forgive them because they're going to run over me all the time. Okay, They're going to take advantage of me all the time if I'm always forgiving of them and, and nothing's going to change. And Jesus has a unique perspective. He has authority in our lives and he gives us these commandments. He gives us these instructions for our good, for our lives. It doesn't mean they're easy to follow. It just means that they're the healthiest things for us. A question that may arise is, how can I keep a, a Jesus as a witness 
to the things of God in my life? What does that look like, maybe practically? The shorter answer is, do what John the Baptist does. That's how you keep Jesus as a, as a central witness in your life. In verse 29, he tells kind of this parable. It feels like a parable in verse 29 a little bit. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The, friends, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete, John the Baptist is saying, which is why he famously says, he must become greater and I must become less. There's one phrase there. He says, the friend who attends the bridegroom. This is what we would call today the best man. And the best man in in that culture, he took care of everything. He was like this glorified wedding planner, I guess. He took care of all the details. His goal was to that couple to be married. And for them to be happy meant that he was happy. And that's John's point. He's, he's that guy. He's, his joy is complete when people are seeing their Messiah, when they're seeing their Christ, when they're seeing that the Lamb of God that's going to be saved for them. He saw that joy, and that joy was his. And it's why he can say, John the Baptist says, he's got to be greater. Jesus has to be greater, and I need to be less. And you can hear John's disciples feeling this tension. You know, what about our ministry? And John is saying, it's not about our ministry. Our ministry, because we're shrinking, that means we're being effective because people are leaving us to follow him, and that's the whole point of what we are doing. John, my point is that John knows who he is to use his language, he knows he's from earth. And he, know that he knows and he's convinced that Jesus is from above. And look what he says in verse 33. And this is what I want to dig out and then we'll close in prayer. Whoever has accepted it, John the Baptist says, has certified that God is truthful. Other translations have it as set his seal to this. Let's think about that idea of that, what's going on there. They set their seal to this. It's a, a seal is a guarantee of something. Uh, we do this today. You remember back in those, those times, people had signet, ring, signet rings, and they would dip it in hot wax, and then they'd place it on a, a letter or a document, and it signified their authority. This is true because I have attached my name, so to speak, to it. Uh, it comes with a, with a guarantee with that authority. When we sign checks or sign documents, we're signing our authority. It's true because my signature is there. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it, so to speak. And here is John is, talks about setting your seal on the idea that Jesus is a witness from above. Set your seal on the fact that he is your Messiah, our Messiah. He is the Christ. It's just that we don't talk about it as setting your seal on it. We talk about it as putting your faith in my faith and trust is in him as this witness from above. He is the witness of these things. I have set my seal upon him. He has authority in my life. And we know there may be times where we don't like that authority, that we may push back against it, that we may try and squeam out of it, but we know that he is from above, that he's a witness from above, and we need his authority in our lives. And I'm willing to admit that, that most of us here in this room, we've done that. We've, we've We've set our seal, so to speak, on Christ, that we've put our faith in him, that we know him as our Savior and as our Lord. But there comes times when that needs to be renewed. 
when we need to renew Christ as our witness, ultimate witness in our lives. Many of you have already set your seal in a different way, not necessarily spiritually, but in marriage. You've set your seal on that other person in your life, on that spouse. He says that they, there's that committed relationship that's, that's there. And let's say one day your spouse comes to you and he says, and they say, do you love me? And you say, I've already settled this issue. On August 15th, I told you that I loved you. Why are you asking me again? And it's not like they don't know that, but what that person is saying is what? They feel like that relationship, that love needs to be renewed. They're asking, do you love me? And we need to do that as well in our own lives to keep Christ as that ultimate witness, to keep uh, that, that setting our seal upon him as having authority and weight in our lives by continuing to renew that relationship. And the way that we say, I love you, is we pick up his word and we read it. And we read it like he's writing it to us. It has relevance for us today. We take time and we go and we're quiet before him and we pray. We pour out our heart before the Lord. We tell him what, what's troubling us. We tell him what we, we praise about him, what we're thankful for, and in areas we want to see him work. We gather with God's people and we worship the Lord together. We renew and we serve one another. We love one another when we remember one another, when we're intentional with one another, when we're generous. The list could go on and on and on. Are you setting your seal upon Christ and him as a witness in your life, as having authority in your life, and following the model that John the Baptist has for us? He must increase and we must decrease. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are uh, so guilty of being full of ourselves, our agenda, and our perspective. And we pray that you would just wash us of that. You would wash me of that. And that we would know that you are our witness from above, that you come with authority, you come with power, you come with deep relevance for our lives here today and into the future. Give us the grace and the eyes to trust you to be renewed in you, that we would know that you love us. It's why you've given us your word. It's why you've given us your son. May we cling to him, and may we trust you more wholeheartedly in our lives. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.